This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In the final part of this talk on Buddhism in the modern world, Reggie discusses the flowering of the three jewels, the Buddha as the lineage of emptiness, the Dharma as the profound teachings on meditation, and the Sangha as the community of people who are at home in the loneliness, warmth, and craziness of the journey. This talk was given in 2009 at a Dhyana Sangha retreat held at the Blazing Mountain Retreat Center in Crestone, Colorado. It's interesting that if you look at the three jewels, which, you know, of course you can look at the three jewels in a very traditional way, which maybe isn't all that helpful, but there's another way to look at the three jewels, which is that the, the lineage itself is a lineage of uh, trust in emptiness, trust in the deepest part of us where there is no ego and there is no agenda. And uh, that the Dharma, so that's the Buddha, is this sort of that uh, we take refuge in not taking refuge in relative things. We're willing to give up reliance on relative things and see what happens. No guarantees. We always say that, but that's the guarantee. The fact that there's no guarantee, that's a guarantee. And the fact that we take refuge in emptiness means that um, our refuge can never be assailed because we're taking refuge in the open-endedness of the journey itself. So that's the Buddha. And then the Dharma, of course, is the um, incredibly rich and profound teachings on meditation and uh, teachings on uh, showing us where we get stuck, um, showing us how we can open, challenging us with different approaches so that we don't ever shut down, you know, that the journey unfolds for us. And then the Sangha is uh, this amazingly colorful, um, warm, crazy group of people who are making complete, ultimately it's and finally completely individual journey and people who are willing to be alone in that way and out of their aloneness comes um, appreciation for the their Sangha brothers and sisters and their aloneness and um, tremendous amount of warmth and affection you know for what it means to be human and how crazy we all are and you know it's one thing to look in the mirror and see your own craziness, and see how bizarre you are. But it's another thing when your Sangha brothers and sisters see it, and they still care about you. It's very, very powerful. And, uh, you know, one of the kind of uh, very striking things about being together like this, or, you know, doing programs, is that um, over time, We've, by accident, we show so many sides of ourselves to our Sangha brothers and sisters. 
and we go through so many things. And maybe we work together, you know, three or four of us coordinate a datum, and we have these terrible, like, problems, you know, with one another. And then there's the administration and, you know, the staff and the trips, you know, and then the conversations and then the meltdowns. And over time, for some reason, it creates such um, a bond. I had an experience uh, during VTI, which, uh, no, it was in Mahamudra, when was that incident? Was that VTI? I keep my time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which experience are you talking about? <laughs> Where um, somebody that I've been working with um, hasn't been going that well, to be honest with you. And um, there was this uh, meeting where we all got together, you know, me and the administrative people, and it was just a total meltdown. And this person told me in front of everybody else exactly what they thought of me. And part of it was accurate, and part of it um, was um, a lot of other stuff too. But you know how we are, we do that. And it was so horrible, I would say, on the scale of uh, like horrible, the most horrible is 10, and the least horrible is one. This is like a 15. <laughs> but then something changed. It was actually kind of amazing. First of all, I got a note of apology that was First of all, I never received communication from this person that was that genuine and open-hearted. And number two, I started to realize that for somebody to have the fundamental generosity, not to play games, but to put all the shit right smack in the table in front of everybody, was pretty out there, pretty amazing. And something changed. Fundamental. And this, you know, the sort of edginess on both sides has had been going on for years. And what I realized is, that's how the Sangha works. And what I said to this person was, you know, we got together and it was, it was, it was different. And I just said, you know, without, I wasn't thinking about it, but I just said, you know, I felt you've been holding back on me all these years. You haven't really been showing me what's going on. And you finally showed me, and of course, you know, for me, it was very hard to have someone saying these things to me in front of a lot of other people. I mean, it was unbelievable what was being said, frankly. But I felt like, well, wait a minute, hold it. I mean, I thought of what Trung Rinpoche used to say about generosity, and he said the most generous thing somebody can do is show you what's going on with them. And it doesn't, whether it's accurate or not is irrelevant. The important point is, you know, most of us are always holding back the darkness out of political motivations. You know, we want other people to like us, we want other people to be allies, you know, we have all these reasons for not letting other people see who we really are. And the genuine craziness that, all, that goes on with us, you know, much of the time. I mean, we all have that inappropriate projections and anger and resentment and neediness, you know, all these sort of horrible things. And here was a person for whatever reason, 
just couldn't hold it back. And out it came. And initially, it looked like this big pile of vomit on the table for a couple days. And then I started to realize, you know, uh, now I know what's going on. And also, uh, you know, I can still be there with this person. And the person sort of realized that I was actually okay with it on some level. And it just changed everything. And you wouldn't be able to have that experience. I mean, I know within families, you know, similar things happen. But somehow within a Sangha context, the fact that we can be with each other and spend enough time and be in sufficiently intimate circumstances, meaning the pressure of programs, the pressure of work, you know, all things that go on, that we can't really hide from each other. It's a huge blessing. And when we're committed to the journey as the underlying thing of ourselves and other people, it's really something. And so in some sense, the, you know, the Sangha in the modern world has a different meaning from in traditional Asian cultures. Traditional Asian cultures, of course, communities in the social sense were very, very strong, often, in most cases. And then the Sangha became this subset of community. But in our culture, we don't have community at all, really. Not real community. You know, you go to your, uh, your child's school and they talk about the community and we have this community of parents and this community of learning. But then you get up from the inspiring talk and nobody talks to anybody, nobody cares. Everybody just walks out. So we have a lot of sort of quasi-communities, I think, in our culture. We don't have real community. And so the Sangha situation, I think, is a very, very unique situation in um, or, you know, other religious communities, um, spiritual communities, it's very unique in our culture and provides a kind of ground of seeing and being seen that's necessary for the journey and that we don't find elsewhere. So I do think, you know, if we want to talk about avoiding organized religion or do your own thing, I think we're in a good place, you know, and we, meditation is our, um, it's our life and it binds us together in very good ways. So, you know, hopefully, you know, all of us can just, uh, you know, draw from this uh, very deep well in an ongoing way and we can support each other. And I hope that, you know, over the next few years we can find more ways to enable people, you know, in both our community and other people to connect with the meditative process. Because as you know, when we experience emptiness through meditation or genuine openness, that's when all of our um, unfinished life tasks surface. And, you know, it's out of the empty open space of meditation that's free from our agendas and free from wanting to be healthy or to, to get anything that the person that we need to be shows him or herself to us. So, yeah, in some sense it's really not that complicated what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to provide room, for, genuine, real room for ourselves in a culture where there isn't really much room at all. And um, hopefully we can share that, you know, with other people. And we are, we will be different because 
We're not asking people to become Buddhists. We're asking them to find out who they are. And we're asking them not to do it in a sort of narcissistic way, but in a way where they're really making room for maybe a lot of information about who they are that is quite disquieting and pushes them maybe far beyond what they feel comfortable doing or being. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet, Cry of the Snow Lion.